Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So, are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Legendary Leaders Day podcast. It's good to have you here tuning in again on a Thursday where we launch our new show every week. And as you know, every week I also have a different guest with me. We are talking about very, very different topics that touch leadership, either self-leadership, leadership in the wider context, leadership of teams. And it's important to me that every week I bring new inspiration, new insights, and some bold topics as well onto the table or onto the show, better said. And one of the topics that we are going to talk about today is really, really very close to my heart. And from my perspective, it's a topic that isn't really discussed very frequently. The topic is autism and how people with autism are so often overseen. They are often judged. They are often not being welcomed with a lot of curiosity and just, you know, trying to learn more about them and how they live their lives. And I think I wouldn't have done that if I haven't had any friends around me who actually have autism. Autism on very different levels, right? It can be like on a scale of zero to 10. It can be on a scale one and it can be on a scale 10. So you may not always notice that people may be affected by autism, but it's important that you're curious about them. And I'm going to talk about one example in particular where when we met, I was really surprised about the harshness from time to time or being quite abrupt and so on. I was like, what is going on? Until I, my curiosity was awakened, basically, and I asked more and more questions about her style and her way of leading. And she opened up to me and just shared with me, well, I'm autistic. And that was a massive aha moment for me. I said, oh, okay, that explains it. Nothing changed. Uh, we actually became um, good friends and it has been fantastic, right? And there, there's no difference in her or in any of my other friends because we're all different. We're all unique in our ways. And we show behaviors and traits from time to time that are just maybe putting people off. And there are some other behaviors and traits that are really highly appreciated. And I think for me, at least, it's, it's no different when speaking to this particular friend. But what about leaders with autism? How do they lead? How do they think? How do they digest information? How do they connect with other people? And these are some of the questions that we are going to talk about in today's show. And my very special, unique and legendary leader today is Becca Laurie Hector. She was actually diagnosed on the autism spectrum as an adult. So she was, I believe, 37 years young when she realized and she self-diagnosed, right, that she had autism, which is absolutely crazy, which means you spend more than 35 years in a life where you constantly wonder, why are you different? Why do people judge you? Why are you maybe being rejected in certain situations? And no one can help you. No one can open up about what is going on. Only when she found out that she was on the autism spectrum, 
that was the moment when she could totally own her life, when she can take it into her own hands and redefine it, which was an eye-opening moment for her and for me when I spoke to her during this interview. She's now a real autism advocate. She's a consultant, a speaker, and an author. And she encourages and enables so many other people on the autism spectrum to share their stories, to live an amazing life, to be completely okay with themselves and uh, being different in some areas than other people may be who isn't really. And she is a real ambassador for awareness towards autism. So therefore, it, this episode is very, very important. Please do listen. Please do share your feedback with us, what you think about it. As to whether you may have experience with autism, autistic friends uh, or colleagues around you and how you or what you have learned about them, but also about yourself and showing your best leadership side that you can show. So do enjoy this episode as always. Can't wait to hear from you. And I speak to you literally in a second. So hi, Becca. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am very, very excited. You're one of my very unique, legendary leaders. I haven't spoken about the topic we are talking about today since I started this podcast. So it's going to be super intriguing. And I'm sure there's a lot you're going to share with the audience that they can take away from this show. Some new insights, some learning, and that's exactly what I can or what I want to create. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Becca, let's dive right into your story. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you here on the Legendary Leaders podcast was you have such an intriguing, to me at least, very intriguing background. And obviously it would be fantastic to hear from you what's been your story, what got you to where you are today. So let's dive right in there. I kind of lived what I think is a semi-ordinary life for the first portion of my life, I think. So for the first 36 years of my life, I was sort of average New Yorker, you know, struggling and, and just trying to live. But I was struggling in a different way that wasn't familiar to everybody else around me. And so I was having issues all through school and I was being given labels for all of the things that were wrong with me and none of them really were right. So I was getting a lot of school phobia, social anxiety. I mean, upwards through into my twenties, I've gotten schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline, I mean, everything. And um, none of them ever felt right. And yet I was medicated for all of them as a growing brain. But nonetheless, it was a struggle. Life was was really kind of difficult for me. And it was, I was the only child of a single mom. And so we were, I think, struggling in that way too. But, you know, life wasn't easy. I, I just, I, I wasn't, I didn't fit in. I didn't have a place. And in my heart and in my inside, I knew that I was the only one like me. And I was like an alien on a foreign planet. Mm. Um, and I just needed to do my best to hide my alienness from the world so that they didn't know. And so that was kind of the life that I was living, which made me a very angry, isolated person. I was very sarcastic all the time because underneath that was a lot of anger and resentment. And underneath all of that was a lot of loneliness. You know, that's kind of the life that I was living. I finally graduated high school and I was like, you know what, I'm so excited to be out of school and everything, but I went, my family wanted me to go to college. So I went to college and I ended up having a really successful time in college. It was like the polar opposite of everything I'd been having until then. And so I really kind of flowered in college and I did very well and I graduated with high honors and all of that and got into law school, go me, got into law school, sat down in their classes and wanted to run. 
like this is so not the place for me i am so much more uncomfortable here than I, i've ever been anywhere you know they do that look to your right look to your left one of you is not going to be here in the spring and i was like oh please let it be me please let me not be here in the spring and hearing that in my own head i just i got up and i left and headed out into the world of work which ended up being really complicated for me i couldn't find a place where i could manage to stay for more than three or four months at a time so what i ended up doing was spending the next 15 years doing 13 very different jobs for stints of four to six months at a time. The longest I ever did a job was two years. And I, I kind of did everything from commercial construction to being a vet tech, to being an executive assistant. All of the jobs, I would learn the skill sets of the job and do the job itself just fine. But once I'd mastered the job skill sets, I would get involved in like what else was going on in the office. Um, and as had always been my whole life, that social stuff was really confusing. And I would end up quitting or getting fired over that stuff. So that's what my life was kind of like, was just a cycle of doing well for a few months, failing, being in depression from that failure, and then having to get back up and do it all over again um, with nothing really changing. So by the time I was 33 years old and I was on that very last job, I, I sat in a meeting and I, I knew that I, I needed this, this accommodation really from my boss and the people I worked with. Somewhere in the midst of that meeting, I figured out that I wasn't going to get the accommodation that I needed, and I felt like my brain cracked. That's the way that I describe it. It felt like my brain just went cracked, unbroken, like that. And I just left. I just walked out. And I went back to my mom's house, and I climbed into the bed I grew up into, in, and I just put myself there. And I said, you know what, mom? I give up. I don't get it. I, I try at 150% my entire life. I fall, I get back up. I try again at 150% and it's never good enough. It's never enough. I give up. And I crawled into bed and what proceeded was the next three years of basically suicidal ideations. I most likely should have been hospitalized. My mom did not choose to do that. Um, it was just the two of us. And I almost wish that she had, but I, I guess I wouldn't, my story wouldn't be my story if she had. So we, we kind of lived through that. And then I had had migraines my entire life, kind of since I was nine years old, they'd been testing for them and looking for them and what was the cause and nobody knew. Yeah. Um, and so always watch for changes. And so I had to change, started to journal it. Nobody else could smell the smell I smelled. I couldn't figure it out what's going on. So like all good human beings, I went to WebMD and I started to look. And I was getting things like olfactory hallucinations, pituitary tumors, all kinds of absurd things that were scary. And I thought, this is too scary, so I'm gonna go to Wikipedia. So I went to Wikipedia and I started the vortex in there. And somewhere in the middle of that, I clicked on sensory processing disorder. And uh, it felt really familiar to me. It was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I mean, this like side note to the giant headache <laughs> mystery. This is interesting. And so I, I just was reading it. And then at the bottom of that article was an article on Asperger's syndrome, which was something I'd never heard of. I'd heard of autism, but at the time we were really separating Asperger's and, and classic autism. So it was a separate article. And so I was reading that article and I thought, well, this is my biography and that's really weird and scary and all of those things. And so I said, well, I'm going to send it to my mom because she's known me the best and the longest and we'll see what she thinks. So I sent it to her and I didn't say anything because I wanted a non-biased opinion. And I waited three days for her to check her email. And then she finally checked her email and came in and said, where do you want to go? You found it, like the big it that we've been looking for since you were a kid. Where do you want to go? And that was the beginning of my journey right there. Um, that's like this. I always say like 
one of one of the things that you talk about is origin stories, right? And so I always feel like I have two, mm. right? Like I feel like I lived a lifetime between zero and 36. And then at 36 years, I was diagnosed with autism and my life started all over again. I was informed about pieces that were blind spots the first 36 yeah. years. And yeah. so I, I started again. And so it's like, that's also the beginning, you know, I, t I think about that period as an ending and a beginning. It's very much an ending for that sad, angry girl that was suffering out in the world. Um, and it's a beginning for me who I am now. So it's sort of like, that was the, there's that story. And then this is the origin of, of who I have become as a result of, of that information that was imparted upon me. Gosh, I have so many questions for you to dive deeper <laughs> into those two origin stories, which are so incredible. First of all, I want to acknowledge that you diagnosed yourself, first of all. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Going onto uh, Wikipedia, being curious, despite the fact that you suffered from strong migraines, that you had had suicidal thoughts, and that you have been living like this until your mid thirties. We are not talking about you know a twelve year old girl, right? Who had enough now. It's a ton of your lifetime that has passed mm -hmm. by already. Yeah. So so that just astonishes me. And wow, just wow, how you went through this. And that yeah, I mean, it's, it was a wild ride. And I have to tell you, when I tell it back, it's crazy to me that I lived it, right? Because I, yeah. I tell it back and it sounds like somebody else's story. It sounds like it should have been in a movie or something. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, you know, it sounds absurd, but it is. It's the truth. And I, I don't know how else to explain that moment of getting that diagnosis and being handed that information. But picture in your head that you have been walking around in your life with one hand over your eye. And so you have two eyes, but you've got this hand over your eye and you're walking around. This is how you see the world. So you don't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up to you and takes your other hand off your eye and you get depth perception and all of a sudden things become clearer and right. And all of this stuff happens. You could very much do that experiment physically right now to experience that. And that's what it was like. It was like somebody went, wait, here's the rest of the world that you, you didn't know. Here's the other half of the information you've been missing. And that was mind-blowing to me. It became, I think, the first year for all of us that get late diagnosis is an angry year. We all spend that first year in full reflection of every second we lived, every horrible memory um, of the past, wondering if it was autism's fault. Was autism there that day? What, you know, what kind of, did somebody miss something they shouldn't have missed, right? And we're all like, how did we live on this planet with this difference all of this time? And none of the adults that we were supposed to have faith in and none of the people, the authority figures that we were supposed to be able to trust like doctors, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, had, had caught this, had taken care of this. None of the people we were going to for help. Most of us had gone multiple times for help, right? Caught this. And so how do you not be angry? And so there's that year of anger. I always say that, that first year of mm -hmm. anger. And, and that's one of my big, big questions. We discussed that before. You experience all the challenges and issues as you said from your childhood onwards from very young years until your mid-30s you seek help you seek support and yet only when you are 36 you find out yourself what's going on so what happened in between those years with doctors you have seen therapists you may have seen right. what, I mean, what they did they diagnose? diagnosed me right part of it is our mental health care system needs to be better. We need mm -hmm. to do better, right? We need to stay up to date, right? Because as information is coming out about mental health, if your clinicians aren't reading and keeping up with it, 
they're still giving old information, right? Yeah. So as our books change and as our information changes, making sure that you're seeing somebody in the mental health field that keeps up with that stuff, right? And has had experience in those things. And so, you know, that's part of it. You know, we don't hold our mental health care system accountable for keeping up to that information. We ask them to do continuing education, but what they choose to educate themselves on is up to them. There's no like, here's the update, you know? So that's part of it. And I say that because until the mid nineties, late nineties, when we said autism, we were looking for a white boy that was a loud behavior problem in, in the school mm -hmm. or was not speaking at all. Okay, that's it. That was yeah. the box we were looking for for autism. We weren't looking for shy girls in the corner who were reading and not speaking, mm -hmm. or girls that were being dramatic, right? Or were you know having these these big emotional swings. We weren't looking for them, um, and so we we weren't looking for them under that label. And nobody was. The world wasn't. We didn't have that information. Um, and then as the information came out, it slowly made its way into practice, and we're now seeing this result of it, where Asperger's doesn't exist anymore. It's a huge spectrum. We're all autistic, right? And we're not looking for those markers anymore, those yeah. same markers. And so that's easily why I got passed over all of that time. And so they were never looking for me. I, I was hyperlexic and hyperverbal. I was reading beyond my years and speaking beyond my years. So autism was never considered at all at that time. It was the 80s. That's part of it, right? It's like we didn't have the information. Information wasn't dispelled. Later on, it was being about being a good consumer. Am I going to someone who has experience with ABCD that I think it is? Or, you know, ask, remembering that you're purchasing a service when you go to a therapist, right? And that you don't have to stay there just because they're the doctor, mm. right? If you're not happy, you get to leave and you can mm. fire them, yeah. right? Those are all lessons we learn along the way as we're seeking mental health treatment. And so there were a lot of therapists that mismedicated and mislabeled me because there's a small arrogance that comes with thinking you know everything, right? And that you can label it right away. And there are some people who will do that to you in 45 minutes after yeah. one session. And if you're naive, and I am as someone on the spectrum, I think you can trust the people who they say you can trust, like your doctors, and you take that medication and you do that. And then you feel worse. And then you, you know, and it's just a series of, untrusting and, and so you you learn to un like I started out fully trusting everybody and I learned through 36 to trust nobody right including myself that's what that all taught me in there all those misdiagnoses and so at a certain point I just refused I refused treatment because they are never right and it took me finding it I guess for me so I'm trying to put myself into your shoes which I will never be able to fully at least right but I'm trying to, and now someone, or, or I'm in your shoes and I experienced a situation where I say for 36 years, I wasn't able to trust anyone, including myself. Mm -hmm. I have no clue how to turn that around and now yeah. to start trusting again and to trust unconditionally, because often you need to give trust first in order to build right. a strong relationship and to give trust back, right? How did you do it? How did you turn it around? Well, I was not in a great place when I got that diagnosis. I, I was in a pretty, pretty shitty place, pardon the French, but I was really like not in a great yeah. place. And so to me, that diagnosis immediately validated all the times I didn't trust myself. Immediately hearing that diagnosis, like in the minute of hearing it, it validated all the times I said, I'm different 
there's something wrong with me, I'm broken. All the times I said that, I was trying to verbalize that I was experiencing a different reality from everybody else. I just wasn't experiencing that. And in that moment with that diagnosis, there was, yes, Becca, you were indeed experiencing a different reality yeah. than everybody else. And so that was great. And so with that, there was that moment of, wait, is that a little bit of self-esteem right there? Can I, can I pick that up off the floor, right? And there was also a little spark of hope that I had lost for the last three years. A spark of, could, maybe, just maybe, is this the thing that could make me not hate myself and my life so much that I don't want to be here, right? Could this be the thing? And what if? What if I just like try it out and see if it's the thing, mm -hmm. right? Because I sat in a place, I was really in a fork in the road. I was given this diagnosis and many people that are diagnosed late in life that are in a mental health place that I was in would get a diagnosis like that and say, see, I told you I was disabled. My entire life I've been disabled. You people did nothing to help me. That's why I'm like this. Give me my social security check and I'm not doing anything for the rest of my life because I was right right? And walk away. Or I could say, wait a second, this thing, maybe the information from this thing or whatever, whatever part path this thing is going to take me down. What if it's the thing that can make the difference? And I thought, well, if I do that, all I'm wasting is time and energy. That's it. Because if it doesn't work, I can go back to the other way of thinking, no probs. It'll always be there. And so that was what I did as a logical brained person, as an autistic person, I logicked through my emotional place because I'm more comfortable in a logical place. And I said, well, it doesn't make logical sense to not try that, that path first. And I did. And that was it. It was like just that, just to make that choice in the fork in the road and to take that step in that direction was the beginning of rebuilding all of the things that you're talking about. I mean, I'm sitting here now eight years away from that place yeah. and it took, it's, I still don't trust people. I mean, I don't. And the truth is, I, I um, am somebody who probably more than likely has CPTSD, um, where a lot of late in life diagnosed folk have a lot of self-esteem issues, a lot of mental health issues because of the trauma we lived through of people telling us our reality was wrong our whole lives. So there's a lot of trauma that goes on that isn't classic trauma. It's not physical abuse or sexual abuse, right? It's a different kind of trauma. But because of that, we're all slightly damaged and that we've been damaged by our lack of information. And that's how I feel about it. So I don't know that I will ever be able to trust people like that um, because I lived for 36 years with that as my reality. Yeah, exactly. And to deny my own reality is crazy, right? So instead, I enter situations now. I used to go in and say, give everybody the benefit of the doubt, right? And then I'd let them all step all over me and take advantage. Mm -hmm. And then I went the opposite. And I said, well, I'm trusting nobody and nobody, I'm not doing anything with anybody. And now I have to say, it's a choice for me every time I step into that. I can test the waters. I don't have to trust somebody 100%. I can trust them to fix my car. And that's it. Or I can trust them to give me financial advice. And that's it. I don't have to give that 100% trust to people. You know, like they don't just deserve it because they're new, right? It's not like you're innocent till proven guilty. That's not how it works with trust. That's a relationship builder. Um, and you can try. I can trust you with a bit of information and see if it works for me, if it feels good, if you understand what that means to me when I share that information with you, right? And then you build those relationships. And I teach, I talk about it as your bubble. You build your bubble people. 
right? And those people are the people that you are 100% authentic in front of, 100% of the time. You can go to them for anything, tell them the truth of the whole situation, get their honest advice, right? There's that little group of people. For some of us, it's a really small bubble. For me, I only have three people in that bubble. Some people have had a less traumatic life and maybe they have 20 people in that bubble. Maybe they consider anybody who's blood related to them to be part of that bubble, right? But in, it's your choice to create that bubble and you're in charge of it your whole life, which means you can kick people out, you can let people in, right? It's not a permanent state. And I think that's what it is. It's about developing what it, what is the thing about people or how much do you need to trust people for them to make it into your bubble? And you kind of like, that's the way we go. We have friends and then you have colleagues and you have peers, right? You have circles of people in that trust. Not everybody's a friend. And I think that's what it's about. It's about not so much learning to trust again, but learning that I have control over who I trust. Yes. I find it very fascinating that how your past understandably has shaped your relationship to trust and your views on mm -hmm. trust as well. If I take myself, um, you just reminded me of my own situation. I always had real challenges with trust for mm -hmm. very different reasons. And I realized at some point it gets massively in my way, my way of mm -hmm. happiness, feeling okay with myself and building strong relationships. So I work towards, I just give trust. I don't mm -hmm. want to doubt constantly and, and so on and so forth, but I have a very different background. And I think that's the idea, right? Here, it's the whole idea that comes with difference. Mm. We're uncomfortable for, for whatever reason with difference. But I should be totally okay that you walk into a situation and say, for me, it works best if I come in with 100% trust. And I go, that's awesome, Kathleen. Guess who's not walking into the room next to you with 100% trust with everybody, right? Yeah. But I'll have you back if they screw up. I'm here, right? Like that's, it's okay. And we can be friends and we can be family and we can be all of those things and still handle situations differently. Absolutely. And so hearing that from somebody is often just as important, knowing that there is no one way, yeah. one right to have a relationship or to build trust or to whatever, because it has to feel good to you. I could go through a bazillion trust exercises. I don't care how many times the same people catch me. There's still going to be a piece in my brain that was built in by the life I lived that's going to say, mm, these people might not catch me this time because that's kind of what I did. And I have to, in that moment, say, well, have they proven to me that they'll catch me? Yes, the last six times they caught me. Then I'm going to take the chance that I can trust them. Mm -hmm. and I'll, right? And so that's my process. Yeah. But it comes back to what I say in almost every episode We've got to be more curious about one another. Differences are key, right? Who wants mm -hmm. to have just the samey, samey people around um, them? Maybe there are some who like that. But it's, it's so important as to whether you have autism or you have no autism, that you are curious, that you share a genuine interest in others. And I think when it comes to differences in people, there's so much judgment out there. Yeah. All the time. And, and one of the reasons why this podcast, this episode in particular is so important to me, because I want to really support raising awareness for and around mm -hmm. autism and the different spectrums of autism. Yeah. So a question is, how can we help raise more awareness about autism, the different shades of autism as well, right. so that we remove those barriers of judgment more and more? Well, theoretically, we can talk about it in a philosophical sense first, right? So theoretically, the way to get there 
is to normalize, right? Yeah. And we use the word normalize. Um, I, I use it in a very blanket way because I hate the word normal because I don't think it exists. But we, what we want to do is make it common every day, right? That the word autism comes up, that you meet an autistic person, that someone could be autistic. Ultimately, that's the end piece is that normalization of difference, mm -hmm. right? And the way that that happens is over time. First of all, it's never going to happen fast. So anybody who's hoping for it to happen in any kind of speedy way, just get off the speed train because it doesn't happen that way. Human change, societal change doesn't happen that way, right? It's slow. And the way to get there is education. It's about um, being, being heard, being you know, vocalizing and making sure you're heard as a community and educating out there. And then hoping that enough people outside of your community find an allyship with your community, that then they too take on their backs the responsibility of dispersing the education, sharing the normalization, moving away from the stigma, right? And that it grows that way. And so how does one person make that difference? But it does, it's all lots of one people doing it. Mm -hmm. And so what I say to people is, I'm here and I'm talking to you and we're having a conversation. So I've now passed you the hot potato. I've shared with you stuff that you didn't know before. I've educated you about, we met, you can talk to people about me now, right? And, and give me as an example. Yep. Um, and then I say, here's the hot potato. It's now on you, Kathleen. You know, who are you going to meet? And you say, well, I'm putting it on the podcast. I'm going to educate these people. And then I hope that out there, you know, listening is maybe another adult autistic who's not diagnosed and maybe they get some help. Or maybe there's a parent out there who's not looking at their kid as an adult and they're just keeping them as a kid. Or maybe there's some folks out there that are diagnosed already and are not liking on themselves right now. But you hope that out there, you know, in the ripple is that the information gets spread. And soon if the right, if the information, the correct factual information gets to enough people, that just becomes the conversation and the conversation changes. Um, I point all the time to the LGBTQ community for our community as an example. They said, yes, our gayness is something about us, but it's also how we identify. It's our identity. Um, and we're going to reclaim it. We're going to reclaim our culture and we're going to reclaim our words and we're going to, right? And that's where the autism community is right now. We're reclaiming our words. We're reclaiming our pride. We are shouting from rooftops our stories. We are doing all of these things. We're in that part of the uprising in our community. Um, yeah. And it's at this time that we're looking for our allies. You know, we need our voice to get louder, but it can't be a voice of only autistic people or people with autistic people in their lives. It has to make its way further. Absolutely. Um, and so I get on podcasts like this that have nothing to do with autism and hope that it will get into a bigger circle than if I just stay in the autism world. I remember very well when I met a good friend of mine who's autistic. I didn't know she was autistic. And originally I thought, well, she can sometimes be a bit odd. My apologies for my early judgment there. No, no, and I, it, I said, oh, she can come across quite abrupt and what's going on. Culturally, I can be quite abrupt as well from time to time. So I thought, oh, well, maybe it's just, you know, the way she's been raised, mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, what created the shift was that I um, was interested in her. I wanted mm -hmm. to know her better. I was curious and I asked a few questions that might have been maybe uncomfortable for others, but also maybe her bubble had built at this point of time because she opened up more and said at some point, I have autism mm -hmm. and the penny dropped for me. And I was like, all right, okay. And suddenly it just was, it wasn't a big deal anymore. Mm -hmm. 
it didn't matter as to whether she was autistic or is autistic or not. Right. We just get on. We get to know each other like with any other friendship. And and I think that's really important from both sides because I'm different to her as well. So she, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, had a few challenges with my personality <laughs> as well. That's called friendship, right? So it's really important. It's something I want to put out there as well, guys, as to whether you're autistic or you're not autistic. It doesn't matter. We are different. So please, please, if you have an interest in someone and share this interest, if you feel you are curious and you want to ask some questions and they might feel a bit uncomfortable maybe ask and say hey i have a bit of a question i'm not quite sure as to whether i should be asking it but i really want to is it okay for you to dive deeper whatever it is that works in that moment but don't just let go of it with judgment not a good thing yeah i think that's our lesson about human life right i mean that's about human interaction and how right how we we hope to and i think you know what i would hope is that sometime in the future, your meeting with that person would be different. Your meeting with that person would be, hey, my name is so-and-so. Yeah, I like to play tennis. Um, my eyes are green. I'm autistic. I hate this supermarket. You know, it's just, that's the normalization yeah. piece, right? That it can come out like that. And then it's not that you need to get to know her a certain amount before she feels comfortable. Yeah sharing her autism with you right and so that's the little distance that we want to go is from having to to hold it back and having to have a whole big disclosure to having it be and i'm autistic and whatever and and the way that gay people can just now say i'm gay and it's okay right and so i'm looking for that growth in my community i want us to move into that piece I, i don't get to take it off it's just it's part of who i am and i i want it to be part of those initial conversations Right. It takes away those few weeks, months, years of odd where everyone's going odd, judge, odd, I'm judging, I'm judging because you can't say because the world hasn't made it. The other thing is right now I can't lead with that foot. I can't lead with my autism right now comfortably because and neither can she because there is judgment. There's pre judgment, right? There's the stigma and the stereotypes that people think of when they think of autism. So I open with my autism foot, you don't know me at all, you already begin to make assumptions because that is what we have with mm-hmm. autism out in the world. It's just the way that it is. Nobody's particular fault, it's just like the way that it is. And so rather than having somebody judge me and start to look at me through an autism lens, I like them to get to know me, Becca, and then maybe they've made it far enough into the trust bubble that I can share them with them that piece because it's risky still. Um, It's just like when people felt like they had to hide their gayness. It is so parallel that I can't even describe it. We try to pass. Autistics that have been diagnosed late in life are trying to pass as neurotypical, right? It's all the same language that we're using because it's the same behavior. Um, And I want that freedom for my people. I I think my, my assumption here is that People might be assumptuous in quite a lot of situations as to whether there's someone in front of them with autism or who's gay. We see someone and we make assumptions. Mm-hmm. So here the key is that we check in with those assumptions yeah. and ask ourselves, where does it come from? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. What am I projecting into this? Obviously, you don't have to ask, give yourself a whole interview when you do right. this, but, but at least check in with yourself. You want to get into, right? Yeah, That's exactly. the way of thinking that you'd like to be, right? I mean, because the right now the reality is enough people know about autism that I can say that I have autism and it's not a foreign word. People know what it is enough. But 
they have their prejudgments. So I can begin a conversation with it like that. And I can tell someone that I'm autistic. And the minute they find that out, they go, oh, and they change the way they talk. And they start talking softly. And they look and check in with me a little bit more, right? And there's what we call infantilization, mm -hmm. where people think they have to be different with me now, yeah. because I've told them that I'm autistic. And that is demoralizing. I am a professional woman at 44. And it's like when people yell at deaf people, you can yell all you want at a deaf person. They still can't hear you. Like it's not going to happen. And if I don't like you, I'm not going to like you more if you talk to me that way. Mm. It's the same idea, right? I mean, it's the way that we kind of say somebody's deaf. We don't say there's a person with deafness. There's a person with blindness. We say there's a blind person. Yeah. There's an autistic person. Right. And so it's very much identity driven this idea. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I hope for a world where I can come out and say to somebody, I have green eyes and I'm autistic and they won't go on. And when that happens, I will gladly, I mean, I walk around and I talk about it all the time, but the minute somebody talks to me, like I'm a child, I don't want to educate them anymore because they just think, Oh, is it worth it? You have clearly already have pre disclosed notions here. And I don't, mm, I don't know if I want to fight that battle right now. Becca, please tell me you meet people who don't do that. I meet people just that don't do that, but I also meet people that do do that. Yeah, I, I have no doubts. There are, are many things that get said to people that are autistic that are really funny when you pull them apart, right? That's one of them, that, that behavior, right? The other one is to say you don't look autistic. People say that to mm. me all the time, or wow. you don't look autistic, or I wouldn't know you were autistic, which is like, ew, where you like saying to someone you don't look black. Oh, that's offensive. Oh yeah. Well, when you say you don't look autistic, that is also offensive because there is no look of autism, yeah. right? That's a stereotype and that's a stigma. And it's offensive to me. I don't want to look neurotypical. I don't necessarily like the way you guys behave or think. I like who I am. And when you want to take that away from me, I think you're ignorant and I don't want to educate you anymore. I mean, that's the way that it, that it plays out. Those are ignorant statements. It's like when, um, and I love parents to death and they want nothing more than the best for their children. But when you come up to me and say, you're not autistic, you don't look anything like my son. Oh, I don't. Okay, well, how old is your son? Four. Okay, well, I'm 44. And if I look like your four-year-old son, I have bigger problems than autism, right? <laughs> the idea that, A, you want your four-year-old son oh. to look like he's four for the rest of his life. Right. Or the idea, right. I mean, it's just so foolish because the stereotype and the stigma keep us closeted. So there's not enough exposure and we don't normalize it. Right. It's part of the cycle. Right. And, and we have to break the cycle and, and, and just shout, you know, we have to shout it. I know after our conversation, you will never look at saying those things the same way. You will hear somebody say that somewhere and go, uh, and I've done my job. There's another person out there who gets that that's an ableist thing to say. Yeah. That's a terrible thing to say to someone. And it'll, you know, we'll get there. But enough of people like me have to say it out loud that it's going on because you can't know what you don't know, right? If, if you're not educated about it, you're not responsible for it. If you don't know it, what you're responsible for is seeking out education. And so being open to hearing things like this and open to learning new ways of thinking. You mentioned quite a few very, very important points, right? The openness, not putting additional stigma onto people, the assumptions. But one thing I actually wanted to get back to is 
how to be with autistic children. Mm. Well, you and I talked about that the last time, yeah. right? How you have experienced your childhood and how you have been spoken to and so on and so forth. If you were to give recommendations to parents listening to the show mm. on how to really kind of include their autistic child, really help them feel like every other child as well. Yeah. But knowing at the same time what is going on, what's different for them, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Okay. Well, I give them the advice that I like you to lead as a parent. You want to lead by example as a parent. And that means how you want your child to feel and behave is the way that you need to feel and behave, right? You want your child to be educated about their autism? Well, you better go out and educate yourself because you're the one who's teaching them mm -hmm. about autism. And if you want your child to not feel bad about their autism, then you need to get over your own shit about autism so you don't pass it on. Like, understand that um, we get a lot of parents who say, well, when should I tell my child, right? Like, when should they know? And kind of, I don't want them to get stuck with the label and I don't want them to feel that way. And I don't want other people to feel that way about them. I don't want them to have to grow up with that stigma is the other thing that parents say. Mm. Um, but you guys are in charge of breaking it. Your job is to make sure that the world isn't like that so anymore so that you're right. So it's not to trick your child out of their autism, but to change the world from being the kind of place that it is where it's not okay for your kid to be autistic. Mm. And that is that normalization piece. And it begins by normalizing it in your house. So normalize the crap out of it in your house. Use the word all of the time. Have books about it out all the time. Talk about it when company is over. Don't hide it and don't make your child feel like they need yeah. to hide it and they won't feel ashamed about their autism because nobody's told them that they should be ashamed about their autism and that's where our change begins so if parents if you look in your little kindergarten classes um, that your students are your, your kids are in and you look at the other students they're with that's the behavior you want to model they are great at it in kindergarten they haven't been taught what we've been taught they haven't been taught to judge and prejudge they just like people or don't like people for who they are in that moment. Um, and that's what we want to do. Oh, you're autistic. That's great. Do you like puzzles? I don't buy. It's a kid conversation, right? And so if you want to know when to tell your kid, as soon as you know, you tell that kid. If they're two, obviously you can only tell them so much they're two, right? You don't, we don't need to talk about the neurobiology of autism to a two-year-old. But if that two-year-old is like, oh, I have autism and we have little, you know, there are books for children and they're reading books about yeah. autism or books about differences at two. Well, when they're four and you can explain more to them about what it is, they're just going to take it on as more information. Is there any point in your life where not having all of the information about yourself would have been helpful, right? If somebody kept some part of you away from yourself, would that have ever been helpful for you in your life? No. You need all the information you can get to make smart decisions. And that includes knowing your own biology and knowing your own neurology. So let that kid grow up with that knowledge. Man, if I grew up with that knowledge, I wouldn't have had so much trouble with emotional regulation because I would have learned as a child that I had trouble with emotional regulation and I would have learned healthy coping mechanisms as a child and I would have learned what to do for myself if I understood that I had sensory overload my whole life. Um, I wouldn't have been taking my medication for migraines because I was having sensory overload headaches from living in New York City. You know, there are things that you can, decisions that you get to make when you have all the information. Why deprive your child of that information for any amount of time? But it comes again back to what we discussed beforehand. 
here as a parent, it's important that you check in with yourself and say, what feels awkward to me right now? What is it about my awkwardness here? And am I projecting that onto my child, which is quite likely that they are doing this in the moment? Mm -hmm. What support can they get to feel more comfortable with it? Engaging you, engaging other people who really have the knowledge so that they can share the knowledge with them. My number one piece of advice for every single parent of a child on the autism spectrum is to expose yourself to autistic adults. Because A, we can articulate our experiences of childhood to you and may be able to help you to understand what your child is going through. Because I can now talk about what it felt like to be two at 44. When I was two, I couldn't talk about it. But I can do it now and I can share those experiences with people so that there's lessons to be learned from it. Um, And the other piece is that if you surround yourself with some autistic adults, you don't keep your child a child. You remember that there's a future for them, that autism looks different in adulthood, that everyone does develop, has development stages and we all go through it at different places and different times, right? But you will never meet an autistic adult that tells you that knowing about their autism has made it worse or an autistic adult that will tell you that they want to be any different from being autistic. Our struggles come from not liking ourselves a lot. Our struggles come from people telling us our reality is incorrect and invalid all the time. Our struggles come from feeling like our natural instincts are wrong and bad. And so that's where our struggles come from. And so if we can kind of back up and take that piece away for people, we're helping with a lot of the struggles, right? If they can feel good about themselves walking out into the world at 18, We've done a marvelous thing for that autistic person. They will forever have challenges that come with their autism. But if they can go to bed at night feeling good about themselves and that their autism isn't to blame and they're not awful and broken, then you've done your job as a parent. That's the goal, is that they feel good enough about themselves that they can value their own being, that they don't give it away to other people for the rest of their lives. And so that, I feel like, is the job of a parent. And it's hard. I know. I get it. Parents, you're in, you're living in emergency mode and you're, whatever fire is in front of you is the one that you have to put out and you can't think too far ahead. But if you incorporate autistic adults in your newsfeed on Facebook, or you make it an effort in some way to follow somebody's newsletter, that's an autistic adult, just in some way, infuse it into your life so that it reminds you on a regular basis that your child won't be for forever that they're not going to die of autism, that that autism isn't going to keep them at six years old forever, and that teaching them skills that they'll need at 18, 24, 32 Mm. is your job as a parent, autistic or otherwise. Yeah. And teaching them to be really okay with themselves. Right. I mean, the the people I work with who are not autistic really struggle to simply feel okay with themselves. Mm -hmm. So give these kids a proper chance to right. feel okay with themselves who, for who they are, including the autism that, as you said so nicely, is a part of them, part of their personality, right from the start. It absolutely is. It's the way that they are learning from the minute they open their eyes and come out into this world, right? Their brain is already there. And just like any other human being, it has to make its connections and learn the information as it's developing, right? But you're starting out with an autism brain. It doesn't get created. It doesn't come from anywhere. They're born with it. Mm. Right. So the sooner you start communicating in an understanding way about that. And for many folks, the diagnosis doesn't come until after two or four or whatever. Um, I didn't get it till I was 36. It was still information I needed. Right. It doesn't matter when you get it either. And I do want to take some guilt off of 
parents' backs here because um, if they do, they come come that way. And we know that it's we're almost 100% sure it's entirely genetic autism. But don't blame yourselves because that's part of the stigma. You know, you blame yourself for having a, a not perfect child because the world has decided somehow somebody somewhere is having a perfect child. I don't know. I don't know any parent that gets to give birth to their dream child. They get the child they get. And you deal with the child you get. And if you're someone who loves reading, but your child loves playing soccer, well, tough, whatever, you're going to sit at the soccer field. And that's just the way it is. So if you get an autistic child, lucky you, you're going to experience the world through two perspectives for the rest of your life. How amazing. But if it's, uh oh, I had an autistic kid, well, you're already starting with the stigma. Mm. And so think about those pieces. Think about them even that early that they, they fall in. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just the way that the world is right now. It, and it, we can make it different. You know, it's the way we were all raised, the world that we were brought up in. But it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. It means when we know better, we do better. And, and take, away, take away this sense of perfection. What is perfection? Mm -hmm. Is that something I that I don't really want anybody exists? perfect in my life, by the way. If somebody thinks that they're perfect in my life, I, they never get into the bubble. Because that's a fallacy. Nobody's perfect. Mm. And if you think that about yourself, stay away. <laughs> I'm not, right? I mean, it just doesn't exist. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has makes mistakes and fails and whatever. I mean, nobody comes out of the womb yeah. like picture perfect. So that's a fallacy that we even seek it. It is crazy, you know? <laughs> Um, and, and I, I don't know, and it's boring. Perfection is so boring. We yeah, we're all perfect. I mean, whatever. It would be such an uninteresting world. <laughs> it makes me just laugh um, how clear you are in the bubble and who gets into it and who doesn't. Uh, it's refreshing, to be quite honest. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it, I hated myself and did not value myself for so many years. Yeah. And now I'm like, no way, man. I don't give that stuff away for free. I don't take it lightly when I share information with someone that they could then use to hurt me because that's what the cruel people in the world do. They get close to you so they can get ammunition and that's not a game I play and people that play that game don't get to get in my life. And that's why I'm happy. And so I, that is the secret to happiness, by the way. Well, let's talk about the, the other secret very briefly. I know we are coming to the end of the show, but I think you should really share a little bit more about your community and how you help other people build a life or create a life you don't need vacation from, which sounds yes. awesome. It is awesome. And that is, it's part of it is building your bubble, by the way. It yeah. is. Part of the lessons is building your bubble. So what I do now, I'm teaching a three-unit virtual course on a personal development for autistic adults. I have gone through the last eight years and read all of the books, The Four Agreements, The Secret, You Are a Badass, Big Magic. I've read them all and they're wonderful and they all have patterns in them and they all share very similar information uh, using different words. And so I pluck them all out um, because the autistic brain doesn't like fluff and extras. And I, I, I plucked out the really important pieces And I put together a course that works for the autistic brain so that you can undo some of the programming and some of the habits and coping mechanisms that have worked for you thus far, but you don't like them. Many of us autistics are living a life of what I call survival, but not thriving. Mm -hmm. So they're surviving in that they have a job, they have a home, maybe they have a wife and a house and all of these things. And they're surviving by all of those societal standards, but they're very unhappy and they're white knuckling it through life just to look 
successful on the outside for everybody else. While inside, there's no joy. Inside, there's no balance. There's no downtime. There's no me time. None of those things are happening that we know are so important with mental health. And so undoing all of that stuff um, and helping folks to reprogram their brain and understand that the negative self-talk isn't theirs, that somebody else's words, that they don't have to feel the way that they feel about themselves, and that they absolutely have control over portions of their life. Yeah. And that they can understand that some things you don't have control over, but the things that you do have control over can change your life. And that you can be a part of making it a thriving life that you wake up from in the morning and you don't go, holy fuck, I just want to go away. Because that's the feeling when your life doesn't fit you and it's not in alignment with who you are. Um, you wake up every day and you just want to go on vacation. And I was tired of feeling like that every day all year long. I wanted to wake up and like where I woke up and like where I lived and like what I was doing all day and all the commitments on my calendar. I wanted that and I built it. And it doesn't look anything like the life I was living before. It definitely doesn't look normal. Apparently I'm a quarantine person forever. I've lived this way forever and I like it. It's who I am, but it's not acceptable. I would say to a lot of people, it's, you know, people would judge it, but I love it so much that I don't care. Like, I don't care how much. I am so happy that you can hate it all you want. You know what I mean? And just hate it from outside my fence and that kind of thing. And I want people to feel that way about their lives. Like, it's okay that, you know, I don't have fluffy decorations all over my house. I like it when my house is plain. That's okay. You don't have to have family pictures all over just because everyone else does, you know? And, and people almost need permission, but autistic people really need permission. And they need to learn to not dismiss their gut instinct and they need to relearn to hear their needs again and, and all of those things. And that's what I'm doing in my course. Not expensive. I'm also offering scholarship seats. So if you have an autistic in your life that you think would benefit from a course like this, email me info at beccalori.com. If you want to sponsor seats to my course, feel free. I have a sponsor page on my website. I would love to give away endless seats to this. Um, we don't have services and supports for autistic adults out there. They just don't exist yet. And so I want to give people an option. I want them to have an option to make it better now and not wait for research to catch up. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> so this is the story of a woman and how she has built a completely new life or an evolved life in eight years time. Uh, it sounds so liberating, Becca, what you have just described and explained, and you show clear leadership in terms of how you let yourself, but also how you have been leading others and really opening up new opportunities and giving people with autism a real sense of you're absolutely okay the way you are, right? Yeah, and absolutely. that's such an important mission. So big, big thank you for that. And a big thank you for being on this show Well, thank you so much for your openness and your willingness to let me share with an audience that is not necessarily mine. And I appreciate it. I really think that um, if more people can just hear, just listen sometimes, we learn a lot. Becca, where can people find you and find out more about you? I am all over the internet right now. I'm, I'm doing lots of things. I have a YouTube channel and I have a Facebook group and I'm always busy doing things, a newsletter and all that, but all of it is housed on my website. So if you go to BeccaLaurie.com, you can find all of it. Uh, the course, the sponsorships, it's all there, the newsletter. Fantastic. 
Thank you so, so much for being a fantastic and so honest and open guest. Love to swearing too. That was needed today. Um, thanks for everyone who has tuned in today. I am sure you took a ton away from this podcast today. Keep sharing the message. Keep being curious. Be interested in other people. Don't write them off because they are different. That's not what we are here for. So enjoy each other. Tune in again next week as well. And don't forget to leave us a review. I want to hear how this episode resonated with you, what you thought about it, and what you want to hear more about. So let us know. And uh, until then, take good care and stay healthy. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkel.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.